Open your Bible to Exodus chapter 20. If you're using the church Bible, that's on page 72. We come this week to the fourth commandment. Uh, the first three we've seen are about taking God seriously, having God alone as our God, worshiping him in the way he commands rather than through idolatry, taking up the Lord's name in a way that brings him honor. Uh, the fourth commandment com continues in that vein, taking God seriously, listening to the way he tells us to use our time. But we notice a bit of a shift at the fourth and fifth commands. These are the only two positive commands out of the Ten Commandments. The rest all say, you shall not do this or that. But these two commands both say, we should do something. As we've been seeing, the negative commands all imply positive obligations, and these positive commands also imply that there's things we ought not do. But here at the heart of the Ten Commandments, almost in the middle, we're given a positive vision of what the good life looks like. The Heidelberg Catechism that we're going to use in a minute describes the Sabbath as a festive day of rest. I love that picture. Festivity and rest together. Celebratory worship. The fifth commandment goes on to have a vision of flourishing families and long life in the land the Lord gives. Of course, real life often falls short of that. Families are broken. Our life does not have the sort of rest we long for. And yet here in the middle of the Ten Commandments is a glimpse of the glory of the kingdom of God, what the world is meant to look like when God's reign extends to every corner. The first commandment warns us not to have other gods alongside the Lord our God. And the other commandments, in a variety of ways, name false gods that we might be tempted to worship. They're good things that we try to turn into God things, and they become oppressive idols. This is certainly the case with the fourth commandment. Work and rest are both the good gifts of God, and yet the false gods of our age are productivity, efficiency, and recreation. We turn these good things into idols that dominate our life. How often do you hear phrases like work hard, play hard, which as far as I can tell seems to be code for use some drugs to make you productive and other drugs to relax on the weekend. Uh, nothing about it is a healthy, flourishing balance. It's ironic that the fourth command, the command to take a Sabbath rest, is in some ways viewed as the most archaic what could this possibly have to do with the modern world? In fact, in that unmitigated disaster of the French Revolution, they tried to do away with the seven-day week and institute instead a 10-day work week. Um, and I don't know that Napoleon, I mean, he's not good overall, but at least he saw that that was nonsense and went back to a seven-day week. Uh, people across the world feel anxiety. They feel the pressure of constant work. Uh, mental health crises among students and young adults. Many industries are facing massive burnouts. Uh, I know that my wife and I's industries are not unique, but both pastors and nurses have high burnout rates, people leaving their jobs at unprecedented levels. And in part, it's because we've turned work and rest into idols. Uh, New York Times earlier this year had a story where it said uh, people used to say, if I had really good sex, my life would be meaningful. Now people say, if I could get a really good night's sleep, that's what I need to make my life significant. We recognize that we need rest, and yet we look everywhere except where we ought to. 
Let's read together, or I will read out loud. Please listen to Exodus 21 through 17, all the commandments, but we're going to be focusing on verses 8 through 11. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates." For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. This is God's word. This morning, I want us to see three truths in the Sabbath command, the fourth command. First, that the Sabbath gives our work meaning. The Sabbath gives our bodies rest The Sabbath gives spiritual rest. Sabbath gives our work meaning. Sabbath gives our bodies rest. Sabbath gives spiritual rest. But before turning to these main points, I want to note that the fourth commandment draws attention to three guidelines for reading or understanding all the Ten Commandments. Quickly, three guidelines. First, the commandments reflect God's character. The fourth commandment makes explicit what is implicit in all the others, that we are to live in a way that imitates God. At creation, God worked six days and rested on the seventh, and so that becomes the analogy for our own work. This is true of the other commandments as well. They reflect God's character. Second, the commandments are rooted in creation. These aren't the arbitrary dictates of a capricious king, but rather the Ten Commandments are rooted in the way God has made the world. They teach us to live with the grain of reality, as one theologian put it, in accord with the way things are. The commandments are rooted in the nature of creation. And third, the commandments leave room for application. Especially on the Sabbath command, uh, there is inevitable disagreement amongst good and faithful Christians about how exactly we should keep the Sabbath day holy. Likewise with the other commands. Uh, There's a prominent Christian tradition of conscientious objectors who believe they can't serve in the military because of the sixth commandment, but the majority position is that 
Christians can serve in the army. There's a fundamental disagreement there. There's room for application. It ought to be done prayerfully with godly wisdom, recognizing that faithful people may differ on how they apply God's commands to life. The commandments leave room for application. Turning then to the Sabbath command specifically, the first thing we see is that the Sabbath gives our work meaning. The Sabbath gives our work meaning. The fourth commandment tells us to remember the Sabbath day, to observe it in order to keep it holy, to set it apart as distinct from the other days. But by setting apart one day in seven, it also makes the other six days meaningful, significant. Uh, I've been watching a Star Wars TV show with my older son, and in it, the main character is sentenced to something like 2,117 days in an imperial prison where they spend 12 hours a day working at a factory at the same exact station, doing the same thing every day, and the other 12 hours a day, they're confined to a small cell where they eat and sleep, and it's that same thing day in, day out, week after week, year after year, and it's actually quite terrifying to really contemplate. Undifferentiated time stretching out toward an indefinite eternity. I suppose something like that is what life in Egypt must have been like for the Israelites. Each day, get up, make bricks, till sun goes down, rest a little bit, get up, do the same thing again. Well, in music, you've got to have rhythm. There's got to be an alternation between accented and unaccented beats. That is to say, the same note played without any variation or rest or alternation for five minutes isn't music, it's a fire alarm, okay? Music needs variation, it needs rests and accents. And so in our lives, for our lives to really sing, we need variation, we need rest, we need accents. And the Sabbath serves to differentiate time. It's the rest that creates a rhythm for life. It makes work meaningful by contrast. And the fourth commandment at this point is made by connecting our work throughout the week, each week, with God's work at creation. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. There's a fundamental analogy between God the creator and his work at creation and our work week. And we're called to imitate God both by our working and by our resting. Verse 9 is one of these positive commands in the Ten Commandments here. It says we should work. Work is important and meaningful. We should work for six days. The various creation stories told by Israel's neighbors, work was seen as a burden. Initially, the gods had to do all the work, but they got sick of it, so they got together and decided, let's make humans, and the humans can do the work so we can rest. But Genesis shows us something totally different. As God creates the world at the end of each day, he sits back and surveys his work, and he saw that it was very good. He takes delight in a good day's labor, in his work. God's work is creative. He forms the world and fills it with all sorts of delightful variation. And then God makes humans. 
And he doesn't impose work on humans as a burden, but rather he invites us to participate in his good creative work. God forms and fills the earth, and then he blesses humans, and he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We're to keep doing the thing he does, filling the earth, and we're to subdue it. We're to further form the earth in a way that's habitable for humanity. In the biblical perspective, work is God's good gift. We reflect the character of our creator in and through our work. And so the fourth commandment endorses work. For six days you shall labor. Of course, that doesn't mean you need to be punched in on the time clock working for your employer six days a week. Some of you may need to do that for a season. That happens in life. But there's all sorts of other ways that we work as well. There's gardening, home repairs, car maintenance, budgeting, laundry, cooking, cleaning, helping our neighbors, caring for our elderly grandparents, caring for children and grandchildren. In all sorts of ways, we're called to mirror God by making little patches of flourishing here in the world. But the point here is that work in its various forms is fundamentally good, even if it has become frustrated by our sin and finitude. We find meaning by being contributing members of a larger society or community. We were made to work and keep the garden. We need purpose. We need to feel that we are useful. Even in retirement, of course, there's a necessary slowing down, but it's for our own good that we continue to be useful, perhaps to our family, perhaps gardening, all sorts of things like that as we are able. Of course, again, there are all kinds of ways that work gets frustrated. It can be menial, meaningless, exploitive. It can be toiling and moiling. There's always a disconnect between our intentions, what we hope our work will accomplish, and what the reality is, what it actually looks like. But the fourth commandment reminds us of this fundamental perspective. Work is good. It's how we, like our creator, shape the world and make the world a better place. And by setting apart one day in seven, the Sabbath then creates this differentiation and meaning within time. It gives rhythm to our life. And by connecting our work with God's work, it gives us this fundamental perspective that work is important and meaningful. Let's turn then to the Sabbath day itself. The Sabbath gives our bodies rest. The Sabbath gives our bodies rest. Work is, or at least can be, meaningful. It's God's good gift. But like all good things, work without putting God first becomes an idol. And so the Sabbath puts a limit on our work, a boundary. It says, thus far and no further. The Sabbath command means that work is not ultimate. We must also rest. The weekend seems to have been or be one of ancient Israel's great gifts to the modern world. Other civilizations did have a seven-day week, and other cultures recognized certain days of the month as unlucky and tried not to do business on those days. But as far as historians have been able to tell, there simply isn't any precedent in the ancient world for something like Israel's pattern of working six days and then ceasing on the seventh. It's Israel's gift to the modern world. Through the early church, this idea of a weekend started to catch on. And then uh, it was eventually when Constantine converted to Christianity, it was made the law of the Roman Empire in 321, saying in cities, work needed to cease on the Sabbath day. There was some allowance for farmers in the, gar- in, the, in the fields, but then eventually that also had limits put on it. 
Sabbath rest reminds us we are finite creatures. We cannot go on indefinitely without rest. Uh, if you're a little bit older, my age, or you know, around about, maybe you remember those Energizer Bunny commercials where the Energizer Bunny toy keeps doing the uh, drum thing on and on and on. Uh, that's not human life. We're not like that. We need rest. We, definite, we desperately need to be reminded of our finitude, of our creatureliness in a culture that pushes us to be always on. Uh, farms need constant attention. Employers expect responses to emails even outside of business hours. There's always more to do around the house. Kids have constant needs. Parents have needs. Some of us have to work long hours just to pay our bills. And then there's 24-hour news cycle. Things are constantly happening around the world. There's social media that's trying to capture our attention. There is more YouTube uploaded every hour than you could possibly watch in your lifetime. There is constant demands on our attention. For parents, you know all too well, your kids could be committed to a different activity every single day of the week. There's constant pressure to squeeze one more thing in until we burn out. And yet the Sabbath command, it's someone telling us, your body needs rest. You've got to stop. You can't go on forever at this pace. In Exodus 16, right after Israel left Egypt, God begins providing manna for Israel, a sort of miraculous grain in the wilderness. But you'll recall if you've been here and looked at this story or read it before, the grain was only available six days a week. So God tells them to gather each day what they need for that day, but on the sixth day to gather a double portion for the seventh Sabbath day. Even before this command, God is already teaching through the manna the lesson to Israel that they ultimately live in dependence on God. They've got to learn that lesson to observe the Sabbath rightly. We've got to learn that lesson if we want to observe Sabbath rightly, that we are ultimately dependent on God. Who of us can't honestly say, yeah, I've always got, uh, or, or sorry, which one of us, raise your hand if you could honestly say, every week I'm so far ahead by the time Sunday rolls around that I, there's nothing else I could possibly do. I just, <laughs> all of us know there's always one more thing to do. There's always a temptation to use Sunday to get a jump start on the coming week. There's always demands on our attention. And yet the Sabbath calls us to remember we are ultimately dependent not on our own labor, but on God. Ultimately dependent upon God who takes care of our needs. He is the source, the ultimate source of our provision, not our labor. But the Sabbath command you see here is not just about taking rest, although we should take rest. It's also about giving rest. It limits turning our work into an idol, but it also limits exploiting others. In fact, the Sabbath law is one of the first great labor laws in history, one of the first workers' rights laws in the entire world. It protects labor against exploitation. In the ancient world that Israel lived in, the better off you were, the more you could rest. If you were really rich, you could rest all the time. Work was for the poor and for the enslaved. But do you see Israel's Sabbath law is universal? It doesn't just say take a rest, it says give rest to others. Young and old, men and women, servants and free, Israelites and foreigners, even the livestock are meant to be given a rest. 
We looked at a couple weeks ago the fundamental role that the image of God plays in biblical ethics, and this is a reflection of that. Every human being is made in God's image, and so every human being should be given rest. But this kind of Sabbath rest doesn't just happen by accident. It takes planning and forethought. It takes discipline. Sabbath isn't the day to mow the lawn, work on your car, or your honeydew list. Uh, It needs to be set apart. That stuff needs to be done earlier in the week, if possible, so that you can have a day that really is a festive day of rest. Those of you who are employers need to think about what it looks like to make sure your employees are able to take Sabbath rest. Parents, you need to think about what it means to give your children rest, to teach them Sabbath disciplines. But if we simply leave the matter there, we can actually turn the Sabbath itself into another way of worshiping the false gods of productivity and relaxation. Uh, If you hear this as, use this day for all your recreations, and then you'll be more refreshed so you can be more productive all week long, it's really making Sabbath about serving productivity. Well, Sabbath does give our bodies rest, and I think that the discipline itself actually bears fruit because it's living with the grain of reality, with the way things actually are. We are finite beings and need rest. But fundamentally, there is also a Godward dimension to the Sabbath day. And this takes us to the heart of the Sabbath. Sabbath gives spiritual rest. Sabbath gives spiritual rest. Do you see in verse 10, the Sabbath day, or the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It's a day set apart for God, dedicated to him. Here in Exodus 20, the Sabbath command is based on an analogy between God's work at creation and our work throughout the week. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, when Moses repeats the Ten Commandments, he gives the same command, but with a different reason for why we should observe the Sabbath. There in Deuteronomy 5, Moses says, you shall keep the seventh day as a Sabbath. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God has brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. In Deuteronomy, Moses is drawing out a further dimension of the Sabbath. It's a reminder that although you were once slaves and worked endless days on end without break, today was just like yesterday, just like tomorrow, year after year. Now you have been set free. The Lord your God has rescued you. And so resting on the seventh day is a reminder that it is God who sets us free, that it is God who redeems us, that it is God who gives us rest. And so the Sabbath points us not only back to creation, but to God's work of salvation. The Sabbath is holy time. Israel's time is claimed by God who brought freedom. In Exodus 20 here, uh, the command concludes, Therefore, after working six days and resting on the seventh, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and made it holy. It's a day that God himself has blessed and that God himself has set apart, has made holy. And so the command begins, we too must remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. God has made it holy and so we keep it holy. Later in Exodus, we'll read about the construction of the tabernacle, a moving temple that's set up in the middle of Israel, a sign of God's presence in the midst of his people. But the tabernacle and later the temple is a holy place, a place set apart 
for God's worship. And so only the priests enter the tabernacle and then only after making sacrifices. The Sabbath day is holy. It's like a temple in time that once each week we all enter into God's presence. He is in our midst. And so public gathered worship is a historic part of of Sabbath celebrations. It's part of festive rest to sing together with joy, at least when the minister picks songs that we know and can sing. Uh, uh, it's, It's joining together in great rejoicing. But if the Sabbath day is made holy by the Lord, why then are we gathered together on a Sunday, the first day of the week, rather than on a Saturday, the seventh day of the week? What's happened? In the creation story, this command refers back to God worked for six days and then rested at the end of the work on the seventh day. Creation was complete. God rested, delighting in his good creation. But if you keep reading on into Genesis 3 and Genesis 4 and then following, God's very good creation is marred by human sin and rebellion, by brokenness and violence. And so Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath, came to bring his people rest again. Not just one day a week, but true, lasting spiritual rest. To put right what was broken to lead rebellious humans back to the good and loving God, to pay the penalty for sin, to endure violence so that the lasting peace and rest of God could be established throughout the earth. On the first sixth day of the creation week, God made humans in his image. On the next sixth day, Christ was humiliated by humans who bore God's image. He was pulverized so that God's image cannot even be recognized. He was crucified. He was killed. On the first sixth day, God gave humans life. On the last sixth day, life was taken. On the first seventh day of the creation week, God rested from all of his work being done. On the second seventh day, Christ lay in the tomb. But on the first day of a new week, the day when God originally said, let there be light, Again, light shone forth in the midst of darkness. As Christ Jesus, God's own son, rose from the tomb. It wasn't just the first day of a new week. It was the first day of new creation. The old Sabbath day is at the end of the week when God had finished his work. The new celebration of the Lord's day on Sunday is on the beginning of the week because Christ said it is finished. The work is complete Rest has been won. And so we don't end our week with rest. We begin our week with rest, saying Christ has already taken care of the big things. We don't need to be anxious about tomorrow, about what Monday will bring. We begin with rest, knowing that God is already at work putting the world right. And so now we, as it were, live in the between time between the first day of new creation and the seventh day of new creation, the final Sabbath rest, that final festive day of rest that we will celebrate for eternity. And so from the very earliest years of the church, Paul talks about gathering together on the first day of the week, beginning the week with worship, because it is finished. Sunday is about the Lord of Sabbath, 
Christ calling out to his people, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Each week we begin our week with a foretaste of the new creation, with a little sample, a preview of what our eternal Sabbath rest will be like. We begin each week with festive rest in communion with God, looking forward to the endless festive rest in communion with God. As we end, I just want to draw together four really practical applications. And I'm borrowing the labels for these from a sermon by a guy named Marshall Brown on, on Sabbath day. Four things. Uh, one of these can be a little tricky, but you can ask me afterwards. First, work. The Sabbath command tells us to fill our week with work. Work is dignifying, good gift of God. We should work. We should find ways to contribute. Second, and here's where it's a little tricky, play. It's meant to be a festive day of rest. The Sabbath is meant to be celebrated with friends and family, enjoying the good gifts of God. Here, there's really two pitfalls we need to watch out for, though. On the one hand, there's legalism about being too stringent in the way we keep the Sabbath day holy, and on the other, liberality. Uh, the Westminster Catechisms, that's one of our statements of faith here at the chapel, warns against worldly work and recreation. The worldly adjective applies to both on the seventh day. And there are forms of worldly recreation, as it puts it, that do draw our attention away from the point of Sabbath day. We need to be careful here. I'll just set everybody off and then wrap up. But the NFL will suck up your entire Sunday if you let it. Okay, I'm not telling you you can never watch football, but I am saying if you let NFL dictate your schedule, you will not have time for worship. And you can apply it to all sorts of things. Kids select sports, travel teams, all that kind of stuff. There are all sorts of worldly recreations that will eat up your time. So we are meant to play to enjoy God and the good gifts of friends and family, and yet we need to be thoughtful and careful about that. Third, we need to stop. We need to work, we need to play, but we need to stop. We are finite creatures who need a break, and this has to look like real, very practical things. Like if you're able to turn your cell phone off and just leave it off for a day. Uh, unless you're, you know, medical professional, EMT, something like that, it'll be fine till Monday. Like, just stop, whatever that looks like in your, in your job, in your life. Parents, that's hard to do, to just give up on feeding kids for a day. But, uh, you know, you've got to be thoughtful about what this looks like. And then finally, work, play, stop. And the heart of the Sabbath is about worship. The Sabbath gives spiritual rest. And part of that is enjoying God's presence. And so we join together as God's people, morning and evening, we have opportunities to enjoy God's presence, the rest that he gives. God gives us the Sabbath. It's not meant to be a burden, but a gift. It gives our work meaning. It gives our bodies rest. But even more fundamentally, it is a sign of the restoration of our spirits. So we're called to work, to play, to stop, but then fundamentally to worship. That's what we're going to do together. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for the good gift of the Sabbath. We thank you for the rest that you give us. We are finite creatures. Some of us even today are perhaps struggling to stay awake because we are burnt out, we are exhausted, and we need the rest that you give. Help us, Lord, to be disciplined in taking rest as you command us to but even more fundamentally, restore our spirits. Give us spiritual rest and joy and restoration as we join together worshiping you.
For some of us, Lord, perhaps we have never rested in Christ as our Savior. Even now, I hope that there is opportunity that we might be drawn to put our trust in Christ and his work on our behalf. Others of us, Lord, we trust in Christ, and yet the way we structure our weeks, the way we live our lives, shows the frenetic pace of those who are trying to save themselves. Help us to once again rest in Christ, to enjoy the sort of rest that he gives. May we honor, set apart this day and keep it holy to you. Amen.